0: Check out the 7th Fall for Dance North Festival from September 11th to October 29th. The festival's collection of original live streams will be presented from Toronto but can be streamed from anywhere. And it includes new works from Guillaume Coté, Azure Barton, and November, and more. Explore the season at ffdnorth.com. Friends, and welcome to the Dance Edit podcast. I'm Margaret Fuhrer, and I'm Courtney Esquine. We are editors at Dance Media, and in today's episode, we will talk about what the very long and winding road back to live performance has looked like for some professional dancers. We will discuss the ways dance artists are contributing to the reimagining of structures well beyond the dance world as we all begin to think about a post-COVID future. And we'll close things out this week by welcoming a special guest star, the ever fabulous ballerina Tyler Peck, who's going to talk about a new project she is launching this weekend. It's very exciting stuff. Speaking of things launching this weekend, there's actually a brand new episode of the Dance Edit Extra, which is our premium audio interview series dropping on Saturday on Apple Podcasts. Uh, So it's the fourth installment in the series. And this time around, we have the brilliant B-girl and director and scholar Efrat Asheri, whose company is about to perform in the Fall for Dance Festival at New York City Center. It's their New York City Center debut. And we had this like really great conversation about... The balance between competition and generosity in the breaking and underground dance scenes, and about how that, like, beautiful everyone is welcome inclusivity of the club dance floor that's not just something to be celebrated. It's also a call to action. It's an ideal to aspire to elsewhere in the world. She's so smart. She's so thoughtful. And she's fun, too. I I hope you'll subscribe to the Dance Edit Extra on Apple Podcasts. It should pop right up when you search for it there. Or you can visit thedanceedit.com slash podcast for a little bit more info and the direct link. All right, now it's time for our weekly dance headline rundown. Let's go. Alright,
1: so Dance Data Project released its latest report, this time taking a look at contemporary and modern dance companies. Uh, As there usually is with DDP's findings, there's a lot to unpack and a lot that's Frankly, unsurprising, but a few key points. Uh, Of the top 50 companies in terms of expenses, Alvin Ailey American Dance Theater alone accounts for 30% of expenditures. The difference in expenses between top-budget ballet companies and contemporary and modern companies is around $500 million, meaning modern and contemporary companies are operating with far less funding. And, in a slightly cheerier note, the artistic leadership at the modern and contemporary companies surveyed is equally split between men and women. Hello? Gender equity? Hello? <laughs> what?
0: what? What is this? <laughs> um, yeah, no, I know the funding gap in particular between ballet and modern and contemporary companies. Yes, very much not a surprise, but it is super useful to have real hard data about that discrepancy. That's ammo in the fight to eliminate it. So thanks to Dance Data Project for doing that like in the trenches work. We can link to the whole study in the show notes. Okay. Here is some happy news out of New York City Ballet. The company promoted three dancers this week. Unity Phelan and Indiana Woodward are both now principals, and Roman Mejia is now a soloist. And these are, believe it or not, the first promotions under new artistic directors Jonathan Stafford and Wendy Whalen. I like almost couldn't wrap my head around that. Um, But they're coming at this time of transition for the company as a whole slate of senior principal dancers is retiring. And there's been a little bit of internet chatter about dancers who were not promoted and perhaps should have been considered. But I will say this, those three dancers could not be more deserving.
1: Well, and I think those three are ones that we've kind of just been like, all right, when's it going to happen for a while now? I had actually sort of forgotten unity wasn't already a principle. I was like, oh, right. <laughs> she's She's been getting all the things for so long. And I mean, Indiana is just so effervescent yeah. on stage. like just been waiting for her to like have her moments like yes finally yeah oh she's like so good this new season back too Mm mm-hmm And the New York Dance and Performance Awards, better known as the Bessies, had its virtual ceremony earlier this week. So in addition to honoring George Faison with a Lifetime Achievement Award, Dance Africa with the Outstanding Service to the Field of Dance Award, and Charmaine Warren with the Bessies Angel Award, recipients in the competitive categories were announced, including Best Production Nods for Ayadeli Cassell, Indigenous Enterprise, Israel Galvan, and the team behind the Motherboard Suite at New York Live Arts, uh, outstanding revival went to Melissa Finley's *State of Darkness*, and outstanding performer awards to Anique Roberts, Latasha Barnes, Jasmine Hearn, and Dee Sabella Grimes. Oh, and a breakout (air quotes) choreographer award to Hope
0: Boykin. Yay. I know such a great group of winners coming out of this totally bizarre performance year.
1: And the Bessies are always just such a lovely uh, celebration and community moment and also a great reminder that no matter how closely you follow the New York City dance scene, there's always more going on that you don't even know about. It's totally wonderful (laughs) in that way.
0: So choreographer Lorianne Gibson is partnering with the streaming company Cinedigm to launch BOP Network, a new platform that is devoted to dance. That's BOP, B-O-P, which stands for Born Out of Passion, a very Lorianne Gibson acronym. Mm. Um, The streaming service will offer licensed movies and series and musicals and documentaries some scripted and non-scripted original shows, and then also dance tutorials led by Gibson and by other big players in the industry. So definitely very intriguing.
1: Curious to see where that goes. Uh, Brooklyn Academy of Music announced its first season since the start of the pandemic, commencing in November with the premiere of Annie B. Parson's The Mood Room. Other dance offerings include Reggie Wilson's Power, the New York premiere of Kyle Abraham's And Untitled Love, which I'm personally very excited about. yes uh pam tanowitz's four quartets and of course the return of mark morris dance group a lot
0: to look forward to in uh, my home borough i know i'm especially curious about annie b's premiere because it says it's a mix of dance theater and spoken opera about reaganism about reaganism I, i genuinely have no idea what that will look like but i know she'll make it brilliant very curious Okay, in JoJo Siwa news, because that should be a regular segment now in our headline (laughs) rundown, the Dance Moms alum and Dancing with the Stars contestant has announced her next reality TV project called Siwa's Dance Pop Revolution. So the show is premiering November 8th on the Peacock streaming platform. And it's going to follow JoJo and her mom Jess as they search for talented tweenage singer dancers to form a new pop group. JoJo is going to serve as choreographer and mentor to the group. And Jess will be the manager and determine the final lineup. So it's very making the band. Um, and note mm. that I say that approvingly for the record. <laughs>
1: well, and then JoJo also broke the internet
0: being Prince Charming this week. So I knew Yep, yeah, I'm so glad you brought that in here. Yes. Let us pay <laughs> our respects to JoJo's Prince Charming. That was everything that we hoped for when we first heard she was going to be on the show. Basically. <laughs> Uh, Black No
1: More, a new musical inspired by George S. Shiler's Afrofuturist novel set in the Harlem Renaissance, finally has a premiere date. Uh, Pershing Square Signature Center plans to present the new group's musical January 11th to February 27th, which will be led by former Aaron Burr sir brandon victor dixon and feature <laughs> <help> choreography <laughs> by none other than bill t jones i know it's 2021 i'm still impulsively
0: making hamilton buns i need to be stopped <laughs> i'm not gonna be the one to stop you um i know it's such a rock star creative team but yeah i really can't wait to see what bill t in particular has has cooked up for that one always and i'm very curious because looking at those dates it's like
1: are y'all, y'all aiming to beat the tony nomination deadline to open on broadway if you can make it work it seems
0: like that's what you're doing Squeak we'll in the yeah. <laughs> uh, So here's some offstage Broadway news. A new Broadway-themed hotel is about to open in New York City's theater district. The civilian hotel will feature more than 250 pieces of theater-centric art. Sketches, still photos, costumes, a whole range of memorabilia. The building was designed by the architect and Tony-winning scenic designer David Rockwell, who for the record, won his Tony in 2016 for She Loves Me, but he's also designed what feels like everything, from kinky boots to legally blonde. He's been all over the place. Oh, and partial proceeds from The Civilian will be donated to the American Theater Wing, which is nice. So no official opening date has been announced yet, but for now they're saying later in the fall. So soon, in theory. In theory. I also am surprised that something like this doesn't already exist. Like,
1: this seems like absolute catnip for every like high school theater group that does their new york city like tourism trip to go see broadway shows
0: totally oh god i would have been so i mean i'm still kind of into it but i would have been so into that as a 16 year old musical theater nerd yep (laughs) uh and continuing the musical
1: theater news only theater center's upcoming holiday production of beauty and the beast has announced a cast that i can only describe as dreamy uh Helen Hayes award nominee Jade Jones will play Belle opposite Evan Ruggiero as the beast uh dance magazine readers might recognize him uh from the January 2019 cover when he was a 25 to watch pick for his phenomenal tap and theater chops I I just need someone to tell
0: me if we're getting a tap dancing beast in this musical will the beast tap dance that is the question I mean I'm a tapping beast yes let's do it I'm here for it he's And he's so just deeply charming and brilliant and wonderful. I'm so curious. All right. So for our first discussion segment today, we wanted to talk about a New York Times story from this past week that I think resonated with a lot of dance artists who have been sort of like groping their way toward the stage again um, in the wake of COVID shutdowns. So the feature followed three New York City ballet dancers, Principal Megan Fairchild, soloist Giovanni Furlan and core member India Bradley, um, over the course of several months on their very difficult and very different paths back to live performance. And all three of them were extremely candid. They all shared their moments of frustration and ambivalence and even some full on despair. But they all made it to and passed opening night last month. And, you know, we've heard a lot of stories during COVID about like the grit and resilience of dancers. And those are qualities that these three certainly have in abundance, but it was really refreshing and moving to hear them talk openly about just how close they came to giving up, too.
1: Yeah, well, and so I'm a huge Giovanni fan. Uh, I actually wrote his cover story for Dance Magazine last year, um, and when I spoke to him then, he had already had to, like, very last minute move back home to Brazil because of visa issues. And so hearing him talk in the story, like, over a period of months about, like, still haven't heard anything about resolving this issue, still haven't heard anything about resolving this issue. Meanwhile, his boyfriend is back in New York, knowing that City Ballet is getting back to work and he's just trying to keep himself in shape, not knowing if he's going to be able to make it back to the States. Um, It was... Definitely a perspective uh, that I don't think is one we've necessarily heard a lot of, but one that Mm -hmm. like felt really valuable. And I think he also just like comes across in the story much like he does when you actually are in conversation with him, which is that just like even when there's like hard stuff being discussed, he has this inner light that comes out, which is also true of him as a performer. It's why I adore him as a performer. Um, So it was like really heartening to read him going through this journey, knowing that, yes, indeed, he did make it back. He's back performing with City Ballet, back in the city. Mm-hmm. But also, like, very uh, very moving and a different journey than a lot of his colleagues have had.
0: Yeah, yeah, definitely a story that is not told enough. Because um, so many dancers experience these kinds of visa issues all the time, not just during COVID. I mean, that moment in the story when the company is saying, hey, we need you for Saratoga. Come dance with us at Saratoga. And he's like, well, I just had my, for the seventh time, I was just denied an appointment with the Brazilian mm-hmm. embassy. Like, wh- what do I do? And
1: also, Giovanni is an example of an artist who has like a major, major, well-funded company backing him up, which can make such a huge difference with Visa stuff. A lot of artists who, you know, are piecing together a lot of different gig work, don't have that backing them up whenever they go into those Mm -hmm. appointments.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah. You know, I I have to admit that my first reaction to this story when I first opened it up was, hey, Gia Corliss, you've got to take your New York City ballet blinders off for a minute. Like story Mm -hmm. after story, she's talked to these same dancers and I think some perspective beyond this one company, or or I mean, just like beyond ballet period would have been good for this kind of story. All that said, I honestly share her New York City ballet obsession. I really do think they're some (laughs) of the most compelling dance artists around. And she definitely picked the right three dancers from the company. Like Giovanni's story, as you just said, incredibly important and compelling. Megan's story, I mean, coming back from having twins, that's obviously an incredible hill to physically. Yeah, I, I... I, I do not as, – as someone who gave birth to two babies at different times, I do not know how she did that. I have no idea.
1: And also having three children under the age of three at home right now.
0: It, it sounds it's a lot. absolutely impossible. Yeah. <laughs> but I also thought both Giovanni's story and then India Bradley's story, mm. they both had so much at stake. I mean, Giovanni's for the reasons you've just explained And then India, because she's one of only four Black women in the company, so she was coping with the trauma of the pandemic, and then also with this sort of outsized role she was expected in some ways to play in the company's examination of its racism and representation issues that's exhausting. Well, and she also spoke like really
1: frankly about like
0: wondering what casting was going to be like when she got
1: back. Mm-hmm. Was it going to be, okay, I'm getting handed opportunities and either I do well with them and the company says, okay, cool, look, we're giving black dancers opportunities. Check that box. Or maybe she doesn't do as well with them because it's been a long time since any of them have performed. And mm-hmm. like, what is that going to mean for her career? Is it going to be some of the very few other black dancers at the company who are going through that? Um, and she was also very frank about saying, you know, I don't know that dancing in the Diamonds core is going to keep, like, pushing me as a dancer in the way that I need,
0: need it to. Yeah. I mean, she even said that she sort of figured out during the pandemic that she can't rely on this company to make her happy and that she might not be there in five years. In fact, I think she said that job is no longer even her primary source of income. Her modeling jobs are now – where the lion's share is coming from i remember being so surprised and delighted getting an email from
1: victoria's secret over the summer that had india bradley <laughs> in the subject line and i like blinked a couple of times thinking i was like my brain had just conflated two emails that were next to each other and then it was like oh no okay you go india bradley you get that modeling money <laughs>
0: yeah no, i know um Yeah, I'm glad that it's becoming a little bit less rare for ballet dancers to say these kinds of things in papers of record, but Mm -hmm. it's still rare and they all need to be said. So it's an important story. I also, in closing, bless India Bradley for dropping a 10 things I hate about you reference in there. That quote about I don't want to say it's been overwhelming returning to the studio, but definitely (gasps) whelming. That was perfection. I know you
1: can be overwhelmed. I know you can be underwhelmed, but can you ever just be whelmed? I think you can in Europe. Okay. I love that movie with my whole heart, and I didn't quite process that that's what that reference was, but like, oh, my God.
0: I mean, maybe it wasn't. Maybe I'm fully projecting, and she's too young to even know what that quote is. But I I believe in my heart of hearts that, yes, that was her intention. I'm going to run with it. (laughs) Alrighty. So next up this week, we want to talk about uh, what's up next now that we are beginning to return to live performance. So in a recent Dance Magazine piece, Sydney Skybetter and Madeline Greenberg talked to a whole range of dance experts about, first of all, how they've improvised their way through what scholar Kate Elswit dubbed the Corona Sphere, and then also how the ramifications of COVID are affecting the ways that they have been thinking about and rebuilding their field, um, and also the wider world as we move forward. And what Sydney and Madeline discovered is that partly because dense people are so good at considering how we share space with each other, that members of this community will be especially important voices in the reimagining of both cultural and civic structures as we emerge from the pandemic.
1: Yeah, so they uh, were doing this research project actually through uh, the Guild of Future Architects, which uh, if you are not familiar with, please go check out their website. It is a lovely rabbit so hole to cool. disappear into at any given time as our Honestly, most things that I learn about prove Sydney sky better. (laughs) Truth. But Guild of Future Architects is basically, uh, weirdly, exactly what it sounds like. It's sort of a collaborative research effort trying to imagine a better future instead of just carrying on and doing things the way it's already been done, using cross-disciplinary research and ideas to imagine a world that
0: is more inclusive and equitable and kinder. Yeah. And and kudos to the guild for realizing that if you're trying to assemble a group of experts with the goal of building a kind, just, inclusive, prosperous future, you're going to need a bunch of dance folks in the mix. Like if you want to build a more beautiful world, involve people who understand the complexities of social choreography, of body sharing space and collaborating within that shared space.
1: Which I will say the folks who started it come from dance backgrounds that is needed in their understanding of the world. Yep. There's there's so much in here and it's just a bunch of really good quotes and we just want you to go read them. But I, I think one of the ideas that really resonated with me and something that I feel like I have been thinking about and talking about a lot is how much more... Even when I'm now going into environments with people who aren't necessarily dancer people, how much more collectively aware we are of the simple fact of sharing space with one another when we get to do that, and how different that feels, and how important and precious and special that feels. I believe there's a phrase used in here, uh, the ritual of shared physical expression.
0: That. It's yummy. (laughs) Yeah, Riot Yesbik, um, another member of the Guild of Future Architects, talks in the piece about how we're all sort of like newborn babies now. Like all of our senses are so heightened after this long period of deprivation. So as you're saying, we've never been more sensitive to the people around us. And that's a form of empathy. That's something that we should continue to cultivate as we try to build more inclusive spaces.
1: Yeah, which like we've been yelling about how good dance training is for building empathy for years and years and years mm-hmm. and years and years mm-hmm. and hello now we is all, why <laughs> we've all landed here together
0: um yeah as courtney said we're doing our best to paraphrase but we really we really just do hope you'll read this piece for yourself um we've included the link in the show notes there's all kinds of wisdom and food for thought in this one Alrighty, so now it's time to welcome our special guest star for the episode, and that is the extraordinary ballerina, Tyler Peck. Hi, Tyler, thank you so much for hopping on today.
2: Thank you for having
0: me. Um, I know this is not what we're here to talk about right now, but I have to start by saying that I was in the audience for your first show back with City Ballet at Lincoln Center doing Opus 19, and it was just electric. Like all the dancers on stage were hungry, but you were like the hungriest one. It was incredible. What was that like, that moment?
2: Oh, you know, it just, it felt like home. You know, it's its yeah. strange because I was actually in the wings and I said right before, I said, you know, I never get nervous and I'm a little nervous. And I think I was just not really having a real performance in over a year and a half, no matter how many projects or anything I did, it just wasn't the same as having a live performance with an audience and so I think I got over it within like a minute like as soon as (laughs) I got on stage I was like okay I feel right at home and I was just so excited to be out there dancing and I love Opus 19 and so there's so much you can show in the role so it Mm -hmm. was a fun valley for that to be my first one back.
0: Yeah, yeah, totally. It's such a range of of stuff going on in that role. I hope you could feel the energy the audience was sending back to you because we were feeding off of yours and
2: sending it back your way. Oh, thank you. <laughs> All
0: right. So let's talk about what we're really here to discuss today, which is that you are about to kick off a virtual masterclass series with Dance Media Live, which is super exciting. Um, so just for people who might not know about it yet, can you start by just sort of walking us through the basics of the series? What is it? What are you going to be teaching?
2: Yeah, I'm going to be teaching some of my sort of favorite topics and some of my most, I think, you know, lessons and prize lessons I can teach, which is, you know, specifics on turning, specifics on musicality and speed, um, walking through people on how to tell a story ballet, go through pantomimes. And, um, you know, I suffered a major injury, so I think it's really important to share You know, health and wellness. So, we're gonna do a class on injury prevention. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think that it's just a way for me to sort of connect with my audience and get to really pass down anything that I know and to be like face to face with them over Zoom is what I'm really looking forward to.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Because I was going to say, obviously, a ton of people tuned in for your Turnout with Tyler classes on Instagram during shutdowns. They were like their own phenomenon. Um, But that's not what these classes are. How are these classes different?
2: I think these classes are different because they're on like one specific topic. So it's going to be like 45 minutes really kind of honed in on one thing so we can really work on it. And also because on Instagram, we don't really get to see that back to back person, Mm -hmm. you know. So for me to be able to correct in real time will be amazing, I think. And um, yeah, so this is just more um, a specific sort of thing for each class and topic that we go through. Or it'll be 45 minutes and then a QA and a afterwards where I will have the opportunity to answer questions and have people in real time, you know, <laughs> Not just yeah. on comments section in Instagram.
0: <laughs> yeah, real face-to-face interaction, yeah. Exactly. Um, so your first class is happening this Saturday, the 16th, and you're going to focus on turns, which like, going in and big. Yeah. It's interesting because from the outside, at least, it looks like you're a really natural turner. But is that actually the case? Is anybody actually a natural turner?
2: Honestly, I would say that yes. I was definitely lucky and given the gift to be a natural turner. Um, Mm -hmm. But, you know, I feel like it's something that people ask me quite often, like, how do you do it? Um, What do you think about? And so it is something I've really had to think about because I think I come at turning from a very different kind of point of view as other people do. Mm -hmm. Um, So for me, it's all about the music. And I find when I teach class and I, you know, correct a student and I tell them about this. You can really see a difference like immediately because I think it's maybe just changing their point of view or their mindset on how to turn. You know, mm-hmm. I know lots of people are thinking about a million different things like technique placement and the ribs and the arms and this and that. But I kind of think in a way that the way I teach about turns is t- it takes your mind off of like the number you're going to do and it makes it more of a dance. And for mm-hmm. me, that's what I have found that really really works. Um, and I'm hoping that everybody who takes the class will find that it works too. (laughs) (laughs) I know. I was going to say, I don't want to
0: spoil your class. Sorry. Yeah. Um, But so then the next class um, that's happening Sunday, November 7th. So that time around, you're going to focus on a variation from Swan Lake. Which variation are you doing?
2: You know what? I haven't really decided. I thought maybe I might even do a little bit of both um, because I find they're so different. Um and that's what's the most important thing about the role is showing the two different swans, you know, of dead and Odile. Um so I was actually just thinking about this last night and I was thinking which would I should and I was like maybe I should teach a little bit of both because we do have the time and it would be really nice to show the contrast. Um so that is still to be determined, but
0: <laughs> <laughs> stay tuned everybody. Um yeah. you know, I think a lot of people may be looking at the other rep that you dance would sort of assume that Odile comes a bit more easily to than Odette but is that also is that
2: actually the case it's funny you know because everybody always is like oh yeah black swan and Odette (laughs) um and for me actually when I'm doing the ballet I really love when I'm in the white swan Mm -hmm. um I love Odette and maybe it isn't as easy for me but I just really love playing her character um and I love the music um so I really don't know because then I say that and then I get in the black swan costume and then it's like, <laughs> I love it too. So I think that's what makes the ballet so special is that you get to be two different people in one ballet. You know, there, there isn't many ballets where you really get to do that. Yeah. Um, so it, it's a special one.
0: I won't make you pick a favorite baby. That's unfair. <laughs> um so I mean Swan Lake it feels like this like Mount Everest of classical ballets and that every ballerina wants to conquer it but I think I remember you saying there's a point in your career when you really thought you might never get to dance it
2: oh yeah for sure I had been in the company like 12 years before I was given the role Mm -hmm. um and typically at New York City Ballet they just gave it to taller dancers but so I just kind of thought I would really like to do it, but I just didn't think it was in my cards. And so when I was given the role, I mean, of course I was ecstatic. Um, but I also was like, you know, this is going to mean so much more to me that I'm giving it, getting it now at this point in my career. Mm-hmm. And honestly, it came at the perfect time because I felt like I could really understand both characters. And had I done it when I was younger, I think maybe I wouldn't have understood Odette as well. Mm-hmm. So... It was kind of like a little blessing in disguise, I think, that it came later in life. But, oh, I like it so much more than, like, Sleeping Beauty, I think, is the toughest Story Valley around. (laughs) (laughs) It is a tough one.
0: (laughs) I don't know how anybody survives Sleeping Beauty.
2: Oh, my gosh. Oh, my goodness.
0: Even just from the first entrance through the Rosadagio, it's like, how are they still standing up? And then you have to do that variation. Variation. Exactly. Yes. Um, so you started talking a little bit earlier in the interview about other topics that you might possibly address in these classes. Can you talk a little bit more about, I know you said like health and wellness and injury prevention were on your list. What else is on there?
2: Yeah, I think I definitely wanted like injury prevention and health and wellness to be a part of my, my series because it's been such a part of my career. Um, I've been very lucky Um, injury wise, I really haven't gotten injured much, but the two that I have were very serious (laughs) and the last one was almost, they told me I would never dance again. So it was really, really, um, you know, a hard thing to overcome. And I just feel like if I can share anything in that experience that might help another dancer, I want to make sure and do that because I felt so alone, um, Mm. because nobody really had my injury and also. I was being told so many things by doctors that I didn't feel like inside that that was the right thing for me. Mm -hmm. So I just think it's a conversation that needs to be had and it's so important to the whole physical well-being. You know, it's not just keeping yourself physically happy and healthy, but it's it's also a mental thing and Mm -hmm. they go hand in hand. And so I really just think it's an important topic and I'm going to have – our head P team, Rika Molnar, who's been by my side, like those 15, yeah. yes, <laughs> um, come and be a special guest so that they can really see like the work that we do and, you know, ask her questions. So I'm really looking forward to that.
0: That's awesome. Yeah. And I, I like that you were Explicitly recognizing that so much of the injury journey is a mental health journey, too. It's not just healing your body. It's it's coping with the mental side of that equation as well.
2: Absolutely.
0: So, of course, nothing is going to replace like the immediacy of in-person dance training. But as a teacher, what do you actually like about the Zoom format? What advantages do you think it has?
2: I actually like it because... I think that's in a way more concentrated because you don't have the ability to, yes, it's the fun part of class is being able to, you know, watch each other and talk to one another. But because you're in your own place or studio, um, I feel like it's a little bit more focused. So like I, as the teacher, am able to really look and focus on that one person in that box instead of sometimes maybe in a class, if somebody's in the back, maybe you miss missed them on a site. I don't know. I've really found that I get to everybody on these mm-hmm. zooms. And so that is like one thing that I really, really loved about it because you're just looking at a screen and you don't have so many distractions in a way. Mm-hmm. Um, of course, I think in-person is so important and you get so much, but you are getting to watch the others. You know, when I say like, let's do group one or group two, everybody else is like at the computer staring at the screen. So they, in a way, are still getting to learn from their peers and watch that way. Um, so yeah, that's, I think, the biggest positive, I, I would say for me when I'm teaching over Zoom.
0: Yeah, as I was just talking to Joe Terry recently, who I know you know, and he was saying, "I like Zoom because there's no back row on Zoom. You're not it's nobody, true. Yes, nobody gets lost. Yeah,
2: yeah, it's so true. I taught something for him, and it was like 300 students or something on Zoom, oh my and gosh. I still felt like I got to everybody. You know what I mean? Because mm-hmm. it was like everybody had their own little square, so I was able to really every single person <laughs> box by box yep yeah
0: <laughs> well listeners be sure to check the show notes for the sign up link for tyler's dance media live Masterclass series and tyler thank you so much for stopping by because i know your schedule is bananas
2: oh i always love talking with you so thanks for having me
0: all right that's it for this week thanks everyone for joining us we will be back next week for more discussion of the news that's moving the dance world keep learning keep advocating and keep dancing Mind how you go, friends. The Dance Edit podcast is a product of Dance Media, publisher of Dance Magazine, Dance Spirit, Point, Dance Teacher, Dance Business Weekly, and the Dance Edit newsletter. Our hosts are Amy Brandt, Courtney Escoyne, Margaret Fuhrer, and Lydia Murray. Our music is by Celestine, with special thanks to Broadway Dance Center for helping us record those footfall sounds. Find out more about The Dance Edit and subscribe to our daily newsletter at thedanceedit.com.